This is Sam Spade from 3D In Your Face, and you are listening to Focus on Metal. Focus on Metal! Hey, Metalhead, Scott Thompson here, welcoming you to episode 333 of Focus on Metal. Yep, a momentous week as we realize that we are halfway to total evil. But uh, this week, one thing we are not halfway to is uh, summer, at least here in the States. Summer officially kicked off uh, last weekend. And so Richie and I thought we would inject some uh, massive summer flavor into this week's show. And how are we going to do that? Well, we're going to have not one, but two guys from Warrant on the show this week. That's right, Eric Turner, as well as Robert Mason. Those guys just put out their latest one, Louder, Hotter, Faster. And they will also be hitting the, uh, the tour and festival circuit pretty hard over the next few months. And they'll be talking about that as well as a whole lot more. So there you go. A whole massive injection of summer flavor for you this week on Focus on Metal. But before we get to that, how about a top-down summertime track of the week? So on tap this week as track of the week from our friends at Frontiers is the new one from Sweden's own Crazy Licks. They put their brand new one out called Rough Justice. So uh, believe it or not, these guys have been around for uh, for 15 years now, quite a long time, and just starting to get a little bit of traction here in the States. I know that the uh, the new album actually did enter the U.S. charts when it first came out. That was pretty cool. And these guys are one of those uh, bands that always has been carrying on more of that 80s hair metal, sleaze rock, L.A. kind of sound. And this new one is, uh, is no different. And interestingly enough, they, uh, they're gaining enough traction now after all this time that uh, there's a brand new... Uh, video game coming out called Friday the 13th The Game and three tracks off of this album. The track 13 uh, Killer and Live Before I Die are all featured in that video game. So uh, look for that on uh, Windows Xbox as well as PS4. But uh, if you just want to hear the music you can do that too. No problem with that. You can find this one pretty much anywhere that you normally would buy uh, your CDs. And of course if you want a little bit of Crazy Licks swag to go along with that you can Head up to crazylicks.com. And of course, that's regular old crazy and licks spelled L I double X. So, for track of the week this week, I'm going to play you the single off of Rough Justice. This one's called Wild Child.
There you go, track of the week, Crazy Licks with Wild Child. As I said, trying to inject some summer flavor into the show this week. So kind of an oddball timeline on this week's show. Uh, we recently went out and uh, saw our uh, Doc and Ann Warrant up at uh, the Hampton Beach Casino. And uh, just so happened that Richie had just done the interview with Eric prior to us going up. And then ended up getting an interview with Robert after we saw the show. So we kind of have a talking to the guy before about what they were going to do and then talking to a guy afterwards about what they did as well as how they were going to plan out their uh, their latest tour dates. But either way, Richie did a great job with both of these ones and he was also able to talk to Robert about some other stuff that he's done in the past as well. So a lot of good stuff this week as we bring you some great conversations with uh, Eric Turner as well as Robert Mason from Warrant. And now we're going to kick that off right now Go right into his talk with longtime Warren guitarist Eric Turner. Hey, this is Eric calling for an interview for more. Yeah. Hey, Eric. Hey, it's Richie from Focus on Metal. How are you doing? Doing good. Doing good. You're on the West Coast, are you? Oh, yeah, for today. Tomorrow yeah. I'll be on the East Coast. Yeah, I'm going to see you on uh, Thursday night. Oh, excellent. Yeah, I've, I've never seen you guys play, so it's going to be a, a bit of a thrill for me. Yeah, I hope you enjoy it. I yeah. just found out that uh, through a DNA test that I'm Italian, German, or uh, British Irish. I mean, <laughs> well, for uh, so- mostly mostly Italian, then then uh, British Irish. Okay, okay. Who knew? <laughs> I always thought I was Scottish and German, according to my parents and everything I heard about my my ancestors. But according to my DNA, got a little bit of the Irish in me. <laughs> you ever been to Ireland? Have you? No, never been there. All right, you never Need played. Go. Never played there. Yeah, it's not too far away. So. Yeah, we didn't do much in Europe. Um, yeah, for various reasons, <laughs> almostly bad. But uh, yeah, no, we never made it over there much. Yeah, did you make it over there on the Rockaholic tour at all? Over to no. over to Europe or uh, at all? Last time we were in Europe was ninety five or ninety six. Wow, you're talking about yeah, ultraphobic. Ultraphobic around that time? Yeah, ultraphobic time, exactly. That was the last time. Yeah, wow. So, of course, I have you on to uh, talk about uh, the excellent new album, Louder, Harder, Faster. And right. um, I do want to ask you, the Rockaholic album was very strong, and you had Keith Olsen produce that. Did you think about getting him back again to work with you? Um, you know, we talked about various producers, but the one that was, the kept name that kept coming up was Jeff Pilson. Hey, this is Jeff Pilson, and you are listening to Focus on Metal. Enjoy. So when we met with Jeff, it just we clicked, and the chemistry was there. And like, well, let's, this music has a little different direction to it, and you know, let's let's work with a different producer and see what it brings to the the table. The experience with Keith Olson was was great, and been listening to uh, rockaholic lately learning some songs off of it that we haven't played in six years so uh, we're adding dusty's revenge to the set and we played innocence gone a couple shows last week and uh, i forgot how good that record turned out really turned out great yeah it was a strong album now did you have a history with jeff i'm I'm figuring that you probably he would have been out of docking when you guys really broke so did, did you yeah, know Jeff had, a long time? I had, well, I'd met him a couple times and uh, over the over the decades, <laughs> and always he's always a real nice guy. And I've gone to see Foreigner, and 
gone backstage say hi to everybody and uh of course i said hi to jeff and talked to him a little bit so um i i knew him just in passing you know socially yeah now um he's a really busy guy so trying to schedule yeah (laughs) trying to schedule this must have been tough yeah we had to just block out you know the end of november through early january we just blocked it out and focused on on the record for us um he happened to have that time off as well as far as i know he might have had to go do a, a couple foreigner shows i can't remember but and he was also working on the doc and live album a little bit here and there yeah at yep. the same time he was doing our record so yeah he's a super busy guy yeah and he's he's one that i've actually met him a couple of times he's one of the most upbeat guys you can meet yeah the positivity and you know positive energy and enthusiasm that he brought to the project was uh huge it's like wow <laughs> if he's that excited i guess we can start getting excited i mean you like your own music but you don't know really is it what people are going to think of it is it any good just because we like it does that mean other people are going to like it i mean you just do your best and and hope and let other people judge we create the art and the world gets to judge it yeah now what's the biggest difference between the way keith produced you and the way jeff produced you not a whole lot of difference um keith used an engineer and and um jeff is the engineer and producer i guess that that's the big difference yeah so does he get heavily involved in the songwriting at all uh, they both got involved in arrangements big time, yeah. Yeah. And, and definitely brought a lot to the, the table, both Keith and and Jeff. Um, but, yeah, I guess another main difference was we did this record all at one studio. When we did Rockaholic, we went to a couple different places to record. Yeah, so t- tell me about writing the album. Um, it was the same, more or less the same writing team that did Rockaholic? Yeah, I didn't, you know, we all contributed riffs. I mean, I contributed as far as ideas go. Not as many of them stuck this time. Only one co-writing credit for me. I think on Rockaholic, I co-wrote four songs or something like that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Jerry and and, uh, Robert uh, handled the writing. And, you know, of course, we all played on all the demos and put our two cents in as far as arrangements and you know, chords and adding riffs and obviously Joey with all his guitar solos and stingers and Steven with his harmonies and the way Steven plays drums. And so we all, you know, we all put our, the chemistry of the band comes out and it sounds like warrant. Yeah. Did but, you- uh, the songs were written over a couple, you know, a, a couple of years. Um, it's hard writing songs when, when you have people in different states and we're always touring and we got all kinds of stuff going on touring playing live is our priority so it it takes a while and you got to be inspired to write music and when you just haven't slept in two days and come (laughs) home you're not really don't really feel like writing any fucking songs (laughs) you you don't try and um, uh, it slowly but surely came together and what what happens is same with rock all like we we finally commit to a label and so then we have deadlines and so that's when we really get to work but uh you know we didn't commit to doing this record till late 2016 we finally said yes um 
for years, every six months or so, Frontiers would say, we want another record, and uh, we would say, we're not ready. Six <laughs> months later, you want to do a record, we're not ready. Years go by, six years, five years. <laughs> yes. And then we talk about it, and then one day we said, yeah, let's do it. We got three songs, let's just say yes, and we'll, we'll come up with another ten. Yeah, so and then we get to work. And then we get to work. Yeah, so do you, do you write? <laughs> would you try and work on songs, maybe on sound check or something like that, or is it all file a little, sharing? Uh, a little, a little bit, very little, but a little bit. I wouldn't say never, but almost never. Yeah, because I've interviewed some people and they say they they just can't write on the road, and others say that they can write on the road. Where do you stand in that? We're more of the can't side of it. Not to say that it doesn't happen. Like once we committed to making the record, we kind of had to. We have to work on stuff. We got stuff to do. We got shit to get done. So we kind of do a little bit. You know, I'll go to Robert's room and he'll play me an idea or, you know, or I'll go into Jerry's room and him and Joe are in there, you know, working on riffs or, you know, laying something down on the computer, an idea. Um, once in a while in the dressing room, maybe, hey, jam on this riff. But um, that happens about, you know, 3% of the time. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you find, Eric, that, um, you know, the way the fa- a lot of fans now, they don't want to hear new stuff, that it's sometimes difficult to motivate yourself to write new music because of that? Um, That never really comes into mind i mean when we're doing our set list we're very aware of what people want to hear and we make sure that uh the majority of our set list will be songs from our first two records we'll probably throw in one song from doggy dog maybe one song from rockaholic and i don't think we'll be playing anything from louder harder faster this this weekend but we might you never know we might play the title track um we did play it last weekend in tacoma we had a special request from the promoters to play that song, so we did. But, um, yeah, we, we really gear our, our set list, and we spread out the new stuff far apart to where when you come see Warrant, you're, you know, 90% of the material you're hearing is songs, that you know, from our, our multi-platinum best-selling hits. Yeah, do you find in some ways, because, you know, Robert's fairly new to the band, and... When you look at the writing credits on on the earlier albums, a lot of them were written by Janie. That you kind of have something to prove that you can actually write the songs, and you also want to have songs with Robert that he can sing that he actually wrote too. Is that do you find um, that at all? No, no. I mean, when we're making the record, we want to write the best songs, but it's there's nothing to prove. It's two different things, you know. I mean, there weren't songs. Um, there was a warrant before Janie, there's a warrant after Janie, then Janie came back and a warrant with Janie, then Janie left again and then there's a warrant without Janie. We've done three records. We've done Born Again, Rockaholic, and now Louder, Harder, Faster. You can hear, just listen to the songs and decide for yourself if you think we're good songwriters or not, you know? Yeah, like, um, I, you look on lot... Sorry, it's like Black Sabbath with Ozzy, Black Sabbath with Dio, Van Halen with David Lee Roth, Van Halen with Sammy Hagar, ACDC with Bon Scott, ACDC with Brian Johnson, on and on and on. Um, just bands, you know, they make the best music with the best lineup they have at the time, and that's all you can do, you know. 
Yeah. But we're not trying to prove any anything. We don't I don't feel like we have anything to prove. We <laughs> we work a lot and um yeah, yeah, we're blessed. We're so busy all the time. <laughs> and it, it's great. And one thing I would say about the new record and I saw thought the same thing about Rockaholic was getting Robert Mason in the band was probably one of the best things he ever did cuz he's he sounds really really amazing on this one. Yeah, he's just one of us, man. We all grew up, we're the same age, we grew up on the same music, we played in different garages in high school and joined different club bands and we got record deals along the way and grew up loving the same bands, you know, whether it's Bad Company or or Van Halen or Led Zeppelin, you know, whatever it might be. We grew up going to the same concerts, he's just one of us, man, so... uh as fate would have it, um, thank God, we all met at a at a show in in Rocklahoma, and the writing was on the wall. Janie was on the way out again, unfortunately, because of massive substance abuse, and um, you know, not showing up to shows, or if he does show up to a show, he can't function, and it was just bad. And we bumped into Robert, his band Big Cock was playing, and we're like, hey man, we might need a new singer. We might need a singer tonight. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know if Janie's going to show up or not. No one's heard from him in three weeks. He won't respond to anybody. Um, so, there you have it. Yeah. And, like, what, what? And, uh, so it was just, it was fate, you know. I don't know what we would have done we hadn't run into robert but it was meant to be and he's been in the band for eight nine years now so yeah two records and thousands of shows later we're uh we're just moving forward one day at a time one rock concert at a time yeah so i just want to ask you a couple about a couple of albums just to finish up in in the 90s sure. um a lot of people obviously ask you about cherry pie and the, the debut and maybe dog eat dog but what, what are your memories of recording the ultraphobic album well, that's a good record. I listened to it not too long ago, and there's some really good songs on there. Bo Hill produced it. The production's great. James Kotak, um, people probably know him mostly from the Scorpions, but played in Kingdom Come. He played in Warrant for a year. He played on that record. Just a phenomenal drummer. Amazing. Um, so it, it's good. You know, I think that's a really, I'm proud of that record. Um, Belly to Belly was different. Um, we got a different drummer. James left to join the Scorpions, and and we self-produced that record. Um, that's the only record that's been ever written by the whole band. Every single guy wrote on that record. It was a true collaboration. We each got 20%. Mm -hmm. The writing credit on every single song, and we produced it ourselves. So it was a fun record to make. Um, it's probably my least favorite album, Belly to Belly, but um, had a blast making it. Yeah. Now, of course, there's been a lot of ups and downs in the band, and you've had some de real downs in it. And you and Jerry, I think, are the only two that have been in the band on all the albums. Did either of the two you ever decide that at some stage, look, maybe we shouldn't continue with the band anymore? That never. No, we've never had that conversation. Um, we just, we just do it. Just keep on going, man. Yeah. Just keep on going. It's like somebody doesn't want to be there. Goodbye. Somebody's being an asshole. Goodbye. <laughs> um, it's just the way it's been. And thank God. I mean, 
we've been pretty damn lucky. And in 2004, we got Steven and and Joey back, and we've had four out of five original members for the last 13 years. Yeah, that's that's a bit of a rarity these days. Yeah, it's great. So it's it's good. Yeah. So the the touring that's coming up now, when the album comes out, what how many songs do you think you're going to be putting in the set? Uh, probably one or two. I don't. We won't overdo it. I'm not sure. Yeah. Maybe one, maybe two. I'm not sure. Okay. I don't know. We haven't had that yeah. discussion. So, I think when Rockaholic first came out, we might have played two or three songs in the set. Yeah. Um, and it also depends on how long we have to play. Some nights we play 45 minutes. Some nights we play an hour. Some nights 50 minutes. Some nights, you know, we'll play an hour and 20 minutes. Um, it just depends on what our what what type of show it is. If we're headlining, if we're opening, how many songs we'll be able to play. Yeah. Now, as far as I know, Eric, your son is involved in the music business now. Um, I, he's not involved in the music business. He uh, he loves singing and he's you know honing his craft and playing piano and recording and. He's actually starting to write co-write songs, so he um, yeah he's just a sophomore in high school, but uh, he definitely has uh, a gift. He has perfect pitch, so which is which is rare and great. Yeah, he has that, and he loves music, so he has perfect pitch and he loves music. So <laughs> he's doing he's doing his thing. We'll see what happens. What's his favorite Warrant album? Does he have one? He doesn't. I don't think he likes Warrant. <laughs> 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 Maybe a little bit. Yeah, uh, he listens to all the new, like uh, I don't know who does he listen. Melanie Martinez, he loves. <laughs> you know, Lady Gaga, Halsey's his new favorite right now. Okay, yeah, if you go to his YouTube page uh, and look at all the cover songs that he records, um, you're not yeah. going to find any rock and roll in there. Does he? Have, does, does <laughs> he likes all the new. New music. Does, does he ask you for a lot of advice at all, or did you you just leave him be? Um, well, we've hooked him up with a really good producer, and he's going to be interning. I think that's what they call it, interning at the studio this summer and spending a lot more time there. But he goes to the studio two days a week and records and writes songs, and he's learning about production and stuff. So, um, nice. As of now, no, I think... You know, he's his whole life he's been going to Warren shows since he was, you know, six months old. He's you know, six months old he's hanging out with Brett Michaels and Kevin Dubrow and all these guys, you know. Nice. nice. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he's been around the business his whole life. I think the first time I got him up on stage was two thousand three. He was two years old and we were opening for White Snake at the Universal Amphitheater, so I brought him out, he walked out and Put the metal horns up to the crowd. There was about five thousand people there. This little two-year-old nice. kid. Yeah, pretty <laughs> awesome. I think we have a picture of it somewhere. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. So it's in his blood. That's for sure. Yeah. So, so and we've you... been doing a lot of events with the PBR this year, which is a pro bull riding association, and we recorded a song for him and a video. Mm-hmm. Long story short, he's got to sing the national anthem. Wow. At two of their events, and there's over ten thousand people there when. Very nice. When he sang it. And then, of course, Robert Mason has sang it a couple times as well. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, of course, you got a lot of stuff in your back catalog. Is there any particular song in the back catalog that 
you'd love to dust out of yourself and put it in the live set, but you haven't done it for a long time. Um, I like some of that stuff. There's some. St- I mean, we've played all these songs in the, at one time or another, but there's some songs like uh, Riding High and Cold Sweat that are pretty cool if I, that come to mind. That would be fun to throw in the in the set that we haven't played in years. Yeah, but play, changing the set list is a tough thing. People want to hear the hits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we play. You know, on average, we play 15 songs a night, and figure 13 of them are from the first two records so it's uh you know we're america's favorite party band so we got to play the the party anthems and we yeah do. <laughs> yeah well of course you have the new album it's going to be coming out soon louder harder faster and frontiers records and final question if i had said to you in the early 90s that all those bands from that era would be on a label in from italy would you said it was crazy uh, yeah, I was like, crazy. <laughs> and buy me another shot. <laughs> so, all right, Eric. Well, I'll leave you go. And, yeah, um, a big thank you to uh, Frontiers for keeping the the music alive for all these bands. <clears throat> you know, classic rock bands. It's uh, what they're doing is is amazing. Definitely, definitely. And uh, I'm looking- and uh, check us out online at warrantrocks.com and follow us and. Like us and all that good stuff. If you're reading this, listening to this, are you on Twitter at all, or on, on got a Twitter page? Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. The whole lot. Are the three the three main things that we socialize on. Okay. Well, we'll have a safe flight over to my side, and I'll see you on Thursday night. Right on, buddy. Looking forward to it. Thanks uh, for. All the right, day. Eric. No problem. Have a uh-huh. good rest of the day. Yeah. If you think of any other questions, or you need any photos or logos or anything, just. Uh, Shoot us off an email and we'll yeah. send you stuff. Well, I might get to shake your hand and take a picture with you on Thursday if I can. Oh, yeah, plan on it. Okay. All right, Eric. Have a good rest All of right, the day. Man. All right, take care. Yep, take care. All right, bye. bye. Big old long-time Warren guitarist Eric Turner. And before we delve into Richie's conversation with Robert Mason, what do you say we play their first single off of Lauder, Harder, Faster? This one's called Devil Dancer. <laughs>
Yes. Hi, Richie here from Focus on Metal. How are you? Richie, that was a great guess. <laughs> I don't get many phone calls from Arizona. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so how you doing? Uh, pretty well, man. I'm like uh, four or five phoners into my five hours worth today. Oh, my God. That, that, nah. good, that good, eh? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm great. Hey, I'm, I'm loading up on coffee and water, so I'll stay hydrated and jumpy. Yeah. How does that affect your voice doing all the phoners? Is it a problem? Well, I'll tell you tomorrow. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> um, I actually have to fly right to Vegas tonight. Yeah. Do first thing TV, morning TV tomorrow with, with Jerry, and then uh, two sound checks, do the national anthem at the PBR event, and then do our record release party. So it's a lot of work, I suppose. I'll just have to take it easy. Yeah. How many songs are you doing off the new album tomorrow night? From the new record, maybe just one or two. Okay. Louder, harder, you know, louder, harder, the title track, and then uh, maybe one other. We're not sure yet. Okay. Yeah. I actually was at the, uh, the show on Hampton Beach a few weeks ago. Oh, right on. Yeah. Um, Dude, I loved that venue. You know, that venue's got such great history, and I'd never been there. Oh. It's actually the first time I saw Warren play and you sing. <laughs> well, there you go. I just, uh, for the record, I was on a lot of drugs. I was really, really sick. Okay. Wow, you didn't sound it. We had we did that. Well, that's probably because the drugs worked. Um <laughs> We had three. I'm not just being self-deprecating, or am I? You know, I'm not making an excuse. I mean, I I thought it would turn out okay, but yeah, I just I was I was a little out of it for those three in a row. We did that one. We did uh, Portland, Maine, and then flew right down to uh, Maryland, and almost right off the plane, slept an hour or two, woke up, walked right onto stage, and played an M3 on uh, Saturday. Wow. So yeah, yeah uh, you know, having a great ear, nose, and throat specialist. I I have bad allergies and just caught some you know sort of bug, I guess. So. I called my doc like right before I left. Said, "Dude, he know me. I don't know. Twenty years. I'm like, dude, I got three in a row plus flights back east. Let's, you know, get me something so my so my nose and my throat works." So yeah, yeah, you, you got Scott Brown on the stage to play Cherry Pie with you. Now, have you ever gotten anyone up on stage to play and it's gone horribly wrong? Uh, we didn't do that that night, but uh, oh, oh well, oh Scott, you mean oh, you got Scott Brown Senator, to play Cherry Senator, Pie, Senator Scott. Oh, at that yeah. show. You know what? He did a great job. We've had people do it in the past. I don't know about it going badly because, you know, there's five of us. We can kind of take up the slack if somebody yeah. gets near. What you hope for is that, you know, you don't have a – like you don't ask a drummer up that doesn't know this song and it train wrecks, you know? <laughs> yeah. You can't do that. Uh, you know, it's – we kind of vet people out before we do that. Yeah, would you rehearse with him at all as a sound check, or how does that normally work with you guys? Uh, sometimes we do. It's it's pretty rare that we have people up. You know, our friends come up and sing background vocals if we're playing with other bands, that kind of thing. You know, the gang's all here, kind of stuff. But uh, in the case of uh, of Scott, uh, Eric reached out to him. I think he had done a radio show with Eric and and our friend Rick Savage. They got to be friends. We all got to be friends. He said, hey, you know, not for nothing, but I can play guitar. Not only am I, you know, a badass and a senator. So we were waiting for the right gig, you know, close enough to him. He also came down to M3. Oh. So we got to hang on, have a little, you know, band room with the door locked, political and social discussion with him, which is cool. I <laughs> know it was great. And, and, you know, I made a new friend, so it was great. Uh but yeah, he played really well. I think he had sent a video to Eric. Here's what I know. Here I can play Uncle Tom's. I can play Cherry Pie. This is what I can do. 
you know, and the invitation went out. Yeah, I think he got up on stage last year or the year before with Firehouse up there as well. Yeah, man, he's a rock guy. Yeah. Who knew? Yeah. Who knew? Yeah, so so before I get into the new record, Robert, I do want to uh, ask you, did, did you know that the, uh, the self-titled Lynch Mob album is 25 years old this year? I do. Uh, that was uh, made uh, evident to me by, I can't remember who, but somebody, or whom, rather, sorry. Somebody called me when it happened. It's like, hey, man, check it out. They sent me the album art. It's like 25 years, dude. Check this out. Uh, yeah, wow. I was a baby. <laughs> yeah, St- Steve Learning Car for you on that one. Uh, yeah, I had been through a, uh, a record deal back east with the Epic Sony before Lynch Mob that had stalled. And then the president of A&R who had signed us moved on to a different company, a different wing of the company. And we kind of got shelved. So I'd been through the record company thing before and had played in a bunch of bands, written songs, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, Lynch Mob, my first big barbecue, you know, I heard about it. I flew out, auditioned within like a week, learning the songs on the way. Like, you know, I had a three hour audition where we went over not only all the Lynch Mob songs, but a couple of Dawkins songs, some Led Zeppelin songs, a couple of Queen songs. And then, demos for the new record like george kept playing me riffs for me to sing over and we recorded all that so when, so when they were like okay you can be in our band we actually had the bed the basic basics of what was going to be that lynch mob record a lot of it from that first audition and attend, it ended up being a rehearsal <laughs> wow yeah you know, i mean musically obviously i wasn't singing a bunch of lyrics you know but just like scatting melodies over george's riffs and the band playing was it the, the audition descended into, well, we don't know any more songs in common. George just started playing, well, what would you sing over this? You know, kind of slyly getting me to to 
give him what I would do on a record over, you know, the, all these new, fresh lynch mob ideas. Yeah. So, like, I, I interviewed Keith Olsen, and we talked about that record. And uh, yeah. what are your memories? And what, how did you feel when uh, when he brought Glenn Hughes in to help you? Like, that, that to me would be like, oh, my God, it's Glenn Hughes. I actually requested that. Oh, okay. He didn't actually say that. Uh, I Well, we kind of came upon it the same thing. I knew he was using Glenn for some, you know, background stuff, and I knew he knew Glenn. I had met Glenn a year before, before I was in Lynch Mob, a year and a half before, in New Jersey at a place called the House of Music in West Orange, uh, playing with the uh, Glenn was playing with uh, Pat Thrall, and I was a fan of the of the Hughes Thrall record, Trapeze, you know, Deep Purple, like all the stuff that Glenn had done. Uh, so we met and talked uh, briefly then, and then you know, as chance would have it. His name came up while we were recording. I said, oh, my God, dude, I love that guy. That guy could do no wrong in my book. He said, well, I can get him in here. I'm like, yes, do it. So he and I kind of went over a lot of – I mean, I'm, I, you know, I told him there's no way you're not singing backgrounds on a track or two. You have to. I'm, I'm, I got your voice on this record, Glenn. It's going to happen. You know, and he laughed. But uh, we kind of went over everything that I was thinking, everything he was thinking, and he kind of just, we batted melody ideas around and he came up with some amazing stuff. And it was like having one of your idols come in and coach you through lead vocals and some, you know, whatever, background vocals, whatever, on your first big record. I mean, who the fuck doesn't want that? Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> then Keith, yeah, but that, but it's Keith Olsen. So you got to remember, then like as I'm tracking vocals one day, uh, Lou Graham walks through the door. And and I'm, I see him through the glass on the other side of the control room, like, no effing way. <laughs> and I got to I, like I get to meet these guys and hang out. And you know, Lou was just super, just complimentary and and what such a great genuine guy. He still is. He's a wonderful guy, but he was a monstrous influence, you know, on me. And and having that opportunity straight off the bat, you know, kid fresh out of New York, <laughs> lands in Arizona, makes a record in California, and all these legendary singers. I mean, it was funny because on the, one of those other days, he's like, oh, Steve Perry might come by today. I'm like, you're killing me, Keith. You're killing me now. But it was fun. Yeah, you should have you robbed his Rolodex, all the phone numbers in it. Oh, believe, well, I, I just talked to him not too long ago. I guess I can get all those numbers if I really want them. <laughs> yeah, and the other thing about Glenn is he still sounds amazing as a singer. I don't know how he does it. He's a freak of nature and a wonderful human being. Uh, you know, we, we have a little bit of contact now still all these years later. And every time we're in the same, you know, zip code, we're like, hey, man, I'm going to come see you or whatever. So you're right, though. He's I have live bootlegs of him, actually probably some on the phone that I'm speaking to you now upon, and, you know, uh, he's just, you're right. He's, uh, he can do no wrong in my eyes. Yeah. So when, when you got Keith in for a rockaholic, how big of, of, of a deal was that for you? Did you push for Keith or was that like, did, did the band bring the name up first or how did that work? Uh, I did. Uh, obviously I had worked with him first on Lynch Mob record, secondly, and throughout the next few years on a bunch of sessions, for a bunch of other bands records and I'd come in and be the background guy. I kind of took over as background guy for him, uh, you know, come in and fix songs, come in and do the same thing that Glenn did for me in a lot of ways for a bunch of those subsequent records that Keith made, uh, in Goodnight LA. So a few years went by and I'd been itching to make a record with him. So 
we got the opportunity with Frontiers. I said, hey, what about Keith? We met with him. Everybody loved him. You know, his reputation speaks for itself. And uh, we went into some pre-production, working on some songs. He worked some of his Keith Olsen, you know, songsmith magic. And we came out with that record. Yeah. What makes him great for you? Like, does, is he, does he really push it? Like, is he tough on you in the studio or is he a guy that puts his arm around you like, and gives you encouragement or both? You know, he's he's like so friendly. Hey, man. Hey, man, let's go make some rock songs. You know, like it was it's always that way with him. I think he's got that gift of being that psychologist meets everything else. Never a shout out of his mouth. It is it was an absolute pleasure. But, you know, he and I have had a great working relationship from the very beginning in 91. So it's kind of a comfort zone with us. You're like, Hey man, come on, do like, remember that time you did that thing, do it right now. You know, and he would, I know what he wants. He knows what I'm going to get delivered and he knows how to talk to a musician to get the best performance out of them. He taught me volumes just by being in the room with him as many times as I was able to be. I really value that. So, in an, in, you know, the quick answer, Honestly, super easy. Super easy. Um, like Jeff Pilson, you got for this record. Did you know him at all? Jeff and I met uh, in early '90s because of my thing in Lynch Mob. I think I met Jeff right after I met George. You know, within a few months being in Lynch Mob. So uh, we'd never worked together, but been you know mutual admiration society. You know, like, hey, you're talented. Hey, you're talented. Oh, you're a nice guy too. Oh, what the hell? So are you. You know, hey, let's work together someday. So uh, Jeff had done a few songs or a few records for uh the frontiers guys as a producer engineer and i knew he had a killer studio we had a bunch of friends in common and it just was the you know it just fell into place at the right time uh, he's got a great collection of vintage instruments and gear and i'm all into that so and he's again one of those guys that's like you're he's like a cheerleader behind the desk like you're you know your joey was playing recording rhythms or solos or whatever and jeff will turn around like dude you're my new favorite rhythm guitar player you know it's almost like he's he's so nice at times where you go at first if you're cynical you go well, is this genuine or is he yanking my chain just to make me do a good job and then you go well either way who cares i'm we're getting some work done yeah but no. he is that he's that guy he's a truly nice guy yeah no he's and, a he's a great vocalist as well He's a great singer. Oh, so did he once, get involved again, a lot with you in the singing? Once again, on, on there's a song called Big Sandy. Big Sandy, Big Sandy, knew that you never would come in handy. I don't want to be alone tonight, just one call to paradise. Hot as the rock, three o'clock, can I climb in the walls? Grab my phone and figure out what's gonna take the fall. Yeah. 
And actually, I'll, I think gang vocals on Big Sandy, and then he and I had a vocal idea really late at night, uh, kind of together. We you know came up with a, a bunch of like a background part that's a supplemental part for a song called uh, Only Broken Heart. And uh, it was just he and I in the room, and I'm like, well, if I do them all, if I do all like four, eight parts of this little harmony thing, doubles and stuff, it's going to sound like eight of me. Can you just do two of them and, you know? And we sang it together in the control room and just looked at each other and smiled like, yeah, let's let's just record these. So Jeff's on the record on that song, too. Okay. I want to ask you about some of the songs on the record. And you mentioned Big Sandy. Who's Big Sandy? <laughs> a, a completely fictional character. <laughs> uh, I think that the two words came out of Dixon's mouth. Jerry Dixon's great at that. I think he, like, knows what buttons to push in me. Or he'll only give me a couple of words and then go, okay, Mace, go, yeah, no, like this, it's about this. And I kind of get on the same wavelength that he's on and I go, okay, well, well then I'll, you know, he'll like word vomit out some stuff, you know, like a phrase or a title or, you know, in the writing process. But he knows that I kind of want to be the lyricist and like come out with him. And he's like, okay, I'm, I like these words, but they're more like free verse. And then I go, okay, I'm going to make him do what I can make sense, blah, 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 you know finish them as a song as because i have to sing them so the big sandy thing had a slightly different direction i turned it around a little bit and just started throwing some things out and, and we're sitting in dixon's house doing demos last year and every time i would come up with a new line he'd just like laugh just, just like a little kid like 13 year old like when you know first time you're 13 you're a dirty joke you're like dude that's funny okay you gotta <laughs> put that in there you know so that's how that came out yeah and we went you know like van allen meets cheap trick meets uh, whatever. Yeah, the the other song that like really stuck out for me. There's a couple, but um, like I've heard the whole record. Like only broken heart is it's got a very Tin Lizzy vibe to it. I'm I'm getting that from it. Do you do you, it, do you get that as well? Oh, it absolutely does. I mean, once again, that song in its inception. I think. Uh, Eric, well, I know Eric and Jerry had a song idea and a lyrical idea, and they had that uh, that intro riff, you know, the, the three, four chord intro riff where it comes around it and it becomes the the, the muted version becomes the verse. Mm. And that's, that's about all the song had. And and I have to say, and, you know, they'll, they'll admit now, I think, I had a better plan for that song. And I'm not being cocky when I say that, but the song wasn't doing it for me. And we demoed it in its form, and it had a little break, it had the breakdown in it. And I had some other things, and it was like, God, it's really not doing it for me. And I was sitting with an acoustic at my house while we were in the last stages of pre-production. I'm like, God, I know there's something better in there. And I'm not kidding. Half a bottle of wine in me, and I plugged Les Paul into one of my amps. And I'm like, I don't play loud music normally at my house, but I've got a few, you know, cool old vintage amps and guitars. I plugged in mm -hmm. and played pretty loudly and then banged out the pre-chorus section where it goes to D and then... The chorus almost intact. A little Jeff, Jeff and I and, and the band changed it a little bit in pre-production to make the chorus basically better. But me with a half a bottle of wine in me, and then the story of the song came out. And so I come to pre-production. I said, "Hey, you know that song? Uh, well, I wrote a pre-chorus and a chorus for it. Oh, and I changed the lyrics. Oh, and it's got a different title. Oh, and here it is. And when I played it for Turner, he's like, "Oh, dude, those the chords are awesome." And then when we put it all together. And I sang it the first time. I swear to you, I completely went like full on Phil Linet, like in the mic at pre-production on a couple of those parts because that's what it did for me too. And I'm a huge Thin Lizzy fan. So, 
you know, and, and the, those guys, like the Black Star Riders guys, are all really, really close friends. I honestly sent that song in its raw form, I think two nights later, to Damon Johnson. I said, dude, is this okay? Because <laughs> <laughs> he knows how much I love that stuff. And he's like, oh, this is awesome. Is this on your new record? I'm like, oh, well, God willing. Well, you know, we'll see. Um, obviously, I sang it like me. But you, you can't help but hear those chord changes and the melody. But, man, it, that's amazing songwriting, you know? And, and I guess in the most faithful and, you know, loving way, you pay tribute to that in your influences and you can't help but wear them on your sleeve sometimes. Yeah, I think I've read some of the interviews so far and they're saying that the album is a little bit different than maybe, the, the, you know, the earlier ones. But, you know, you got four different, you know, you got the four musicians, they're all older. You're obviously your second album with the band. And, you know, you're, you're bound to go in a, in a little bit of a different direction. Like, the song that another song that sticks out for me is like you and my life like that's a very beatlesque song it's not i wouldn't call it a power ballad like that's another great song that sticks out for me well thank you um another one i wrote that real quick i wrote that with a really good producer songwriter nashville guy who's like you know multi-million selling records and songs to his credit a guy named joe west joe and i had written a few times before on my nashville trips where i try to become a better songwriter and broaden my horizons Banged it out on my piano in my house one morning with just a melody and not really lyrics. And thankfully for iPhones, I made a little audio recording, text message it to him and said, please tell me this is not crap. And he sent back within a minute. He's like, get on a plane, get on a plane, come here within a, you know, obviously within a, a week or two, we're sitting in his studio barn and he's like, okay, I got this. And he had that. I love to watch you in the morning in the mirror, that kind of thing. The, the opening line. And within half hour 45 minutes that song was done wow it's very it's simple i wanted that you know maybe maybe not feels maybe wings like maybe i'm amazed meets like something edgar winter would do off of they only come out at night or or you know or something like that where where it's got that cool raw connection uh jeff pilson had just bought a piano we recorded it on his piano in his living room. Granted, I would have loved to have used my vintage chickering, but <laughs> that's in my house in Phoenix. So, uh, you know, played a bunch of stuff on it. Uh, I actually banged out the solo in two takes on one of Jeff's old vintage guitars that I had been, like, you know, loving on and coveting for about a week and a half. And I played it as a demo, and then I looked at Joe, and Joe's like, well, I'm not going to play it that way. Why don't you just keep it on the record? And I said, like, oh, well, let's do one more take. And, you know, within the third take, we put it together, and it worked. Yeah. So I'm actually quite proud of that song. The band had been wanting me to do a piano ballad for a long time. I've written a bunch of them, and that one just kind of fit. Like for me, this record almost has a late '70s vibe to it, rather than you know any other thing. Probably because of just you know organic songwriting and vintage instruments. Yeah, you mentioned that song was came together pretty quickly. What was there a song that was really difficult to get done on this one? Uh, shoot. Uh. That's an awfully good question. I'd have to look at the track listing and refresh my memory. Uh, you know what happens? Some of them come out in, in a minute and, you know, out of a dream and you're done. I'm sure you hear this from lots of songwriters. And some of them you labor over. Uh, honestly, the ones that I've labored too much over, I don't take much stock in because I want to put it away after a while. For me, if it doesn't come out, I'm not, I'm not lazy. But for me, if it doesn't, the initial idea doesn't really catch me, I'll just shelf it. Come back to it later. Yeah, yeah. So I just have a couple of questions, Robert, before we go. Um, was there a particular gig or a particular song you wrote where you, when you felt 
like you were really comfortable being in Warrant now, or were you just comfortable from the from the get go from the beginning? Well, the guys were friends. Uh, Warrant uh, took Lynch Mob out ninety two ninety three to support you know direct support and uh, like an arena tour off doggy dog. So we were friendly. Lane and I were friends from ninety one on when I started making the Lynch Mob records. So you know being in that band, I, granted you step in, you go oh, okay, you know the typical. Everybody has preconceived notions or think that, you know, they're big shoes to fill and all thing. And I do accept and acknowledge that. Uh, but I'm just going to be me and not in a cocky way. But I go in and I'm like, look, I'm going to pay faithful tribute to the legacy and the songwriting and the spirit of the band that fans love. But I'm me. So there's a certain element of me that's going to show through no matter what. Fans became pretty accepting pretty quickly. You know, you're going to catch your share, your fair share of hate. But, uh, you know, I take it, I consider the source when I hear that stuff. Yeah. Uh, man, a particular song, I don't know. You mean from the old catalog? Or no, like no, maybe there was a song on Rockaholic where, you know, I'm writing new stuff with the band now. I'm, I don't know how this is going to go. And then you wrote, and you did one song and you went, now, right, I know I can write with these guys now. So when I brought like them, that? yeah, I brought them six or eight songs pretty much intact i think four or five of which ended up on the record for the for the rockaholic record i think home came out it was really personal to me very very simple it's almost too simple that song the way keith ended up treating it was really cool uh maybe that song or she almost go on on that record you know it was kind of cool it came from just a riff i had uh the fact that the band just accepted those things and said man okay these rock like if there's a there's a validation and acceptance in those four guys saying well shit you just you did this in your home studio yesterday? This is awesome. I think we can record it right. Like, let's all do our part, you know, and, and make it our own. But let's record it just like this, even the arrangement. I think making that record was validating for me. Yeah. Um, just a couple of quick questions. Um, a lot of fans, you know, they might know the videos. They might know the band, but they might actually know the band members. Do people, Has people come up to you in the last couple of years and called you Janie by any chance? Yeah. <laughs> uh, one or two drunk guys at the state fair, maybe. <laughs> okay, I'm just curious I mean, because you're a lot of. I don't. Are... I, don't Go on. Well, I don't hate people for that. Look, look. If the only if the only thing you have is that old image of the cherry pie video, and a blonde guy shows up with blue eyes and sings those songs, and you don't know any better, you know who am I? Who am I? To, yeah. You know, I, I correct people every once in a while, uh, but I've never had anybody say it. You know where I feel like it's taken in a bad way. Yeah, yeah. Now I just I just figured I'd ask you because a lot of bands out now they don't all have the members that were in the, from the MTV days and you know they right sure. I mean you know we lost we lost they lost Janie. Janie really you know couldn't continue. Nobody wanted to see him pass away on the road. Uh, I was the right guy at the right time and you know, this is the way Warren is now. Uh, you know I've said it a billion times. I was a fan first, and I do my utmost to put on the best show possible. Yeah. But you're right. Again, we have four to five. I mean, that's that's actually saying something. That's really good. <laughs> that is really – and you're, you're all still – you know, you can, all, you can still sing, and the other guys can still play. I appreciate the praise. Oh, shoot, Bobby, we're at like 124. I got a call I had needed to be on at 120. I'm sorry. Yep, I'm, go, you. I'm sorry. Yep. I'm looking, I'm, I called you, Bobby, because I'm, look, I'm looking at the guy I'm supposed to be on the phone No, with. go ahead, Robert. It's been great talking uh, to you. Best of luck for the, the album coming out tomorrow, and uh, we'll I, do our best to promote it, okay? I really appreciate it. All thank right, you, Robert. Thank you. No problem. Great Take questions. It. All right. Thank you very much. Bye. All right. Bye now. <laughs>
And I just figured I would wind out those interviews with the title track from the new one from Warrant. That was Louder, Harder, Faster. And if you want to get some tour date information for those guys, you can head up to warrantrocks.com. But for this week, that is a wrap for Focus on Metal. Hope you guys enjoyed another week with us. More great stuff on the way in the coming weeks. And I'll just rattle off the usual stuff. You can always visit us up at focusonmetal.net. Get five years of episodes up there, as well as uh, keeping up with our news blog, focusonmetal.blogspot.com. If you want to give a shout-out to Richie, you can meet him on our Facebook page, or you can always ping me over on Twitter. But as I said, stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a great metal week. And until we talk to you again next week, as always, Focus on Metal! Everything else is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home.